Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. We are brought to you by the Oklahoman. My name is Michael Martin and I am joined by the Oklahoman's Thunder Beat writer, the great Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing on this chilly Tuesday morning? Michael, I'm doing well. You know, the weather is turning in a positive direction, getting a little warmer. Thanksgiving on Thursday, it's a, it's a good week. I can't complain. Yeah, no, it's changing for sure. I was going to mention that seasons are changing. We're getting deeper into the winter, so it's a little bit colder out. But nobody told Jalen Brunson that last night as he dropped a game-high 34 points, including 13 out of 14 from inside the three-point line, just hot shooting to lead the Knicks to a 129-119 to win over the Thunder to get revenge on OKC after they dropped 145 points in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks eight days ago. What are your biggest takeaways and overall thoughts from last night's game? Well, that was a professional transition, uh, Michael. I, I, uh, I respect you for that. My overall takeaway is exactly what you said on, on Brunson. I mean, the 13 of 14 from two, 34 points. Very rarely this season has Shea not been the best guard on the floor, but he wasn't last night, and he was he was good. I mean, it didn't seem as impactful what Shea did, but he was 9 of 22, 12 of 13 from the line, um, which is obviously really good, 30 points, but... I thought Brunson was just terrific. Um, and we'll we'll talk about the Thunder's defense and how it has slipped. But on a lot of Brunson's shots, it's like there's a hand in his face and it was a tough finish and um, kind of the level of shot making that, you know, sometimes good defense can't even stop. Yeah, good defense, better offense from Brunson. But like I mentioned, he goes off for 36 points and great shooting. And it wasn't just him. The other two big parts of the big three for the Knicks were great too. Julius Randle had 25 and 11 on 9 of 16 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, 5 of 6 from the line. And R.J. Barrett was a big story of the night who broke a cold streak when he had 25 and 8 on 10 of 16, including 3 of 4 from 3. Uh, just all-around great play from their main stars. And I think Mark Dagnall talked about that last night as those guys really beat the Thunder. Where are you at on R.J. Barrett? I'm curious. It's very up and down. I think that he's in a very bad environment for developing right now. They're just constantly changing the pieces around him. But I I still think there's hope for him. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but there's no reason why he can't be, um, I don't know, maybe a C.J. McCollum level player. Not playing that style, but you know what I mean? Like fringe all-star guy. Yeah, I think I'm to the point, and it's still early, but I think I'm to the point where I would be surprised if he ever made an all-star game. And I think he can be a valuable player. I mean, he's just gotten off to a rough start, but he was good last night, 10 of 16. Julius Randle had, like, a Julius Randle game of two years ago, um, all-NBA-type game where he's just, like, it was, like, peak mellow out there from the mid-range, bullying guys in the post. And it's just like, if I was a Knicks fan watching Julius Randle, and I know there's, (laughs) there's some mixed feelings there, but golly, you would, it would be such a roller coaster ride because so many of his shots, it's like, ah, it's a little early in the shot clock, or that's not the most efficient shot. But when it goes in, you can't argue with it. And when it doesn't, he gets booed and there are uh, bad feelings in Madison Square Garden. So the Knicks are just a really weird team, but they played well last night. Yeah, Randall has a lot of those shots where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, you're taking that. And it goes in, yeah. you're like, oh, all right, I guess I don't know anything. But yeah, R.J. Yeah, Barrett, exactly. it's still early for him. I don't know. I I don't know what exactly his role or best way to play is. I think that's a big part of it. But who knows going forward, maybe he'll get to a new team and we'll get to see some different things. But speaking of the Thunder, it seemed like another slow start for Josh Giddy last night in the first half. He went off in the second half and I think had 14 points, but started off the first half really slow, I think on one of six shooting. Yeah, he actually finished with 18, 9, and 7, which those box score numbers kind of blow you away, but it didn't didn't feel like that during the game. Um, not, his, not his best night, certainly not his worst night. Like, he didn't stand out to me really um, – either way i mean there weren't there weren't a lot of thunder performances that that did honestly i mean this was a game that the knicks they almost led wire to wire very similar to that game a couple of nights ago against memphis the thunder never led the grizzlies never had that final you know comeback push in them thunder only led by two last night and um you know every we talk about brunson every time the thunder got close brunson had the answer but i thought thought giddy was okay i thought 
J-Dub was okay. Dort, he tied the season high, 24 points. But it's just like a, a bunch of numbers that didn't add up to, to much of anything as far as, you know, the result in this one. Speaking of Dort, it seems like he's kind of rounding into form. He had a cold stretch to start the season, but he's shooting much better from three, and I think he's now up to about 14 points per game. So he, he had a really nice game last night, but it seems like he's rounding more into form of what we saw for the last couple of years. Yeah, and a couple more corner threes. I, I think, I mean, what are you seeing from him off, offensively? Do you think it was just a bad bad start, like a slump to start the season, or has has his change in shot diet sort of like helped stabilize his numbers i think his shot diet has really helped and then just his positioning on the floor like we mentioned a few pods ago it's hard to take a lot of corner threes when you're not in the corners but i think Mm -hmm. they've put him in better spots to succeed there and i think he has a better understanding i think now of what's being asked of him and what's his job offensively i think you're seeing a lot less possessions of him as a primary ball handler running pick and rolls or trying to initiate things and more of him being like a secondary creator or playing off, um, you know, catch and shoots or getting some flybys and going to the lane. But I don't know, much more contained, which I think is what the ideal role is for him going forward. Yeah, those are those are good points. Darius Baisley was also back in action, played 18 minutes. That stretch in the second quarter was crazy. I mean, he has three blocks in six minutes, two on Obi Toppin, one of the best dunkers in the NBA. Um, and then one on the Quentin Grimes layup attempt. And you look at the on-off numbers, and the, those numbers back up the eye test on how good Baisley has been defensively. Now the offense will still drive you nuts. Um, <laughs> and especially, like, when the defense is working, he tries to sort of force the offense, and it's like, ah, it's like a give and take. You can't have one without the other, but... All in all, you know, coming back from a five-game absence, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, after an injury, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon to start that game. Like, he was running full speed up and down the court. He had those blocks. He met Obi Toppin, like you mentioned, at the Summit, a guy who, like, I think Obi Toppin won a dunk contest a couple years ago. The dunk contest, not really talked about all that much, but he was in it at least. But, um, yeah, Bays looked good offensively. Like you mentioned, they're still more to be desired on that front I mean he had that one play with Jericho Sims where they went back and forth it felt like the never-ending possession where he pump faked missed the layup got uh, the rebound pump faked again over and over and it ends with an Aaron Wiggins um, drawing a foul and then Jericho Sims has the ball and Baisley slaps it out of his hands and then gets a tech just just a wild game for Baisley in his first one back you mentioned Jericho Sims last night made me think of how many Texas big men centers are in the league right now to varying degrees of, of skill. Obviously, you've got the standouts like Jared Allen, Miles Turner. Um, but then you're, you're, you think like Jericho Sims, Kai Jones, Greg Brown, like those three I grouped together is these like um, super athletic, bouncy bigs that's like, I have no idea what any of them are going to be. And it, I, I was just like thinking about that last night. It's weird. Even Mo Bamba you can throw in there. Just yeah, nothing but craziness. Yeah, no, the Texas bigs definitely, um, they have a zero to 100% chance of turning into something. I mean, Kai Jones, his uh, if you watch his pre-draft tape and just watch the highlights, you're like, how is this guy not go number one? But got to watch the rest of the film. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And Jericho Sims is like his his highlights are so loud too. I mean, I know he's more of a rim runner exclusively, but um, yeah, it's just like how's it, what's Texas doing with all these all these centers? Um, well, he caught that but, lob at the end of the game from Brunson, and it looked like he had a jetpack on, like his head was above the rim. Yeah, just ridiculous. He's like, like muscly too. He's not just like one of these like long and skinny guys. Like no. he's he, he's got quite a frame on him. So. Yeah, more Jericho Sims talk. Uh, sorry about that, Michael. I, I didn't think we would be focusing on Mr. Sims. We're hitting the big points that. people want to listen to. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about Shea a little bit. I thought it was a good but not great night for him. I mean, we're kind of getting spoiled from some of the games we're getting from him, but I thought that he was, I mean, best way to put it, good but not great. Yeah, I I mentioned it at the top. It the numbers were there. They just didn't feel as impactful. And I think that's because, you know, the Thunder just never got really close as far as deciding this game. But again, I'm 
very encouraged by the free throw attempts. And you asked Mark Dignall this before the game about with the frequency of their drives, why aren't they getting to the foul line more often? And really, it's it's just Shea that's getting there and, and 8.2 attempts per game. And he's now shooting 91% on the season. So other guys have to get there, but Shea's putting pressure on the rim. And even when I thought he was off a little bit um, on some of his some shots at the rim he would normally make, but that was kind of compensated for by how well he got to the line. He needed to, but it felt like the for, uh, first game this season where I saw him kind of force the issue a little bit and try to take over on some spots when he wasn't necessarily, I don't know, cooking like he was earlier in the season. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That That's definitely fair. And they were, this is the story of the game, but they're throwing a ton of bodies at him and just like collapsing on him every time he gets into the paint. And um, sometimes he has a better feel for that than others. I, I mean, I, I think he played, we're, we're nitpicking, obviously. I think he played well last night, um, but just not like one of the iconic Shea performances that we've done this season. Well, like I mentioned, we've been just spoiled by how good he's been, but it's got to be tough. I'd like to ask him about that sometime, just the balance he tries to find between passing and looking for a shot because he's not a selfish guy. We've seen him make these passes to teammates late in games, but that's what teams want him to do. They'd be happy if he had 15 assists and 15 points, but they also the Thunder also don't want him to just take every shot. So I wonder how he finds that balance between hunting for his own and keeping his teammates involved. Well, and the Thunder knows that Shea could be even more, you know, could possess the ball even more and just, you know, run more offense just through himself and not trying to get others involved. And, like, he's putting up crazy sets now. They could be even um, more outlandish if he did that. But Mark Dignall said something interesting. I forgot what game it was, but it was on this road trip. He was like, the guys, and I, I, I thought of Luca, um, and obviously Luca is, he's a step above Shea. I mean, one of the best players in the world for sure. But he was like, teams that just have one guy and you know what they're going to do, and like it's all predicated, their offense is entirely predicated on one guy, those teams are easier to stop even though the individual talent is so great. Whereas he mentioned Shea and John Morant in the same sentence, they excel because they get their teammates involved. And that makes them even harder to scheme for because you're not just worrying about him trying to make every play. So, you know, I, I think, I think that's a balance they're trying to like help him find as well. Yeah. I mean, he could definitely be that more heliocentric offensive piece like Luca or James Harden in Houston in the past, but I, I think it's definitely more productive for winning for him to play like this. But to me, the, the big part of the game was just a slow start. They're outscored. The Thunder outscored by four in the first quarter, seven in the second quarter. And in the second half, they win the second half by one point. They outscored the Knicks by one point in the fourth quarter and they tied in the third. So just trying to claw their way back the entire second half after a little bit of a stumble coming out of the gates in the first, but just couldn't get it going. The Knicks don't have a good offense. They don't have a terrible offense. I think they were ranked 20th coming into this game. But, you know, one game ended in a loss. This one ended in a win for New York, but they have just torched the Thunder's defense. So let's – uh. I think we have some stuff prepared on that. Let's get. Let's to do it. Yeah. Defense. The defense is on a downslide. OKC has given up over 110 points in all of their last eight games. What do you think is going on, or the major issues here? Um, <laughs> I don't want to be an idiot and just say I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is Mark Dagnall was clear last night. He said, you know, I'm not questioning our guys' effort. But I think some of it is just, you know, pressure legs at the beginning of the season, and now we're getting into a point where they were playing so hard and so well defensively, just that I think that's hard to sustain given they're like, you know, we've talked about their defensive flaws from a personnel standpoint, and their effort sort of uh, overshadows that a a little bit. I think some of it, like last night, is just, um, uncanny shot making from the other team and it's like you can't really control that they've run into a couple of those games um, I think some of it might have to do with all of these lineups continuing to switch and learning how to play with 
with different guys around you within the scheme. Um, they even went zone some last night, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know. I think it's a confluence of factors, but w- what do you say? I mean, they're throwing out a lot of things. Like you mentioned the zone last night, they ran a one, two, two, they ran a matchup zone. They're trying stuff, which is what I love about Mark is he's not afraid to just throw things out there and see if it sticks instead of just standing pat and letting whatever happens happens. But I think they're missing some rim protection. I mean, that's the biggest hole in the roster. It's a giant Chet shaped hole in the middle that is obvious of what they're trying to build around him. Uh, but also, you mentioned the rotation flux of guys in and out of the lineups. But more than that, I think some of it is just the injuries that they've had over this last stretch. Poku's missed three games. Trey Mann missed some time. Baisley and Isaiah Joe also. And then you mentioned just the hot streaks of games. Some of it is like a chicken or the egg thing, where it's like, is it bad defense equating to these guys having great offensive nights? Or is it great offensive nights that makes it look like bad defense? But Jason Tatum had a great game against them. Javon Carter had a career high. Jalen Brunson looked like the second coming of Chris Paul last night. They played Bradley Beal. Jaron Jackson Jr. looked awesome. So some of it is just like who you're playing, but they're definitely screws they can tighten up on the defensive end. Yeah, and and you mentioned um, personnel. And and just um, they they missed basically on that whole road trip. Obviously, it was back last night didn't result in in better defense but just for some context when Baisley is on the floor the Thunder's giving up 102 points per 100 possessions that's a really good mark when he's off the floor um, the Thunder's giving up 114.7 points per 100 possessions so that's a 12 point difference in his on off so I think that certainly contributes to some of it and we talked about the rim protection Baisley's not that like traditional rim protector um, but he's, I mean, he's, um, he's been the best thing the Thunder has at it at, at this point, especially when they're, I think they've struggled a lot in those lineups where like JRE is the center. They, they don't have traditional centers other than Jay will who didn't play last night and isn't going to play a lot. So the, the only not pushback, but they were also without a traditional rim protector last season. And when they were healthy before the all-star break, they were a top 10 defense number eight. Um, and just to look at the current numbers, the Thunder is 16th in offense, 21st in defense. If I had to bet, I would bet on those numbers to flip um, by the end of the year. And in their last five games, the Thunder is 29th in defense. Yeah. A lot of things changing. And um, I think it's been a real, pain for Mark just trying to balance lineups like you mentioned Baisley's been great on defense but it seems like they're going back and forth because it's been a constant thing you need more shooting on this team around Shea and Giddy but at the same time you want Baisley to defend the back line for some of those guys so it's just kind of a back and forth thing of which do you choose and there's no right answer but hopefully they can figure some things out going forward um, but they've been giving up a lot of points yeah one more one more point on Baisley because I just looked it up when you mentioned that um his uh, on-court offensive rating is 104.6. Um, that's bad. Um, and just for context, there's only uh, two players, only one player on the team with the worst on-court offensive rating, and that's J-Dub, Jalen Williams, a, a rookie. And just above, basically, is Pokashevsky. Now, these numbers aren't the be-all, end-all. A lot of it is, like, who are you on the floor with? What are the opposing team's lineups when you're when you're out there, like, I wouldn't look at Jalen Williams' numbers and worry about that right now, but it is this like huge flip of like, yeah, the defense is a lot better with Baisley on the floor, but the offense is a lot worse. Yeah, and you can't just deploy offense and defensive lineups like you can in football or something. You got to play both ends. So it's been a little bit of a fight on that, but hopefully we can the Thunder can find a few guys who can play consistent on both ends. Uh, but we were speaking about the uh, inconsistent lineups with just injuries. Joe, the Thunder are zero and three without Poku this season. To me, it feels like they're missing his rim protection on defense and his ability to stretch the floor and create a little bit more space to pull like rim protectors out. I felt like he was definitely missing against the Knicks. I mean, he wasn't guarding Julius Randle, but just his ability to maybe pull out a Mitchell Robinson or a Jericho Sims out to the perimeter and then be a little bit more, I don't know, just have an extra shot blocker on the floor, I think would have been helpful. Yes, I, w- I was laughing as you said that, not because I think it's a ridiculous point, just because I'm laughing at how things have changed. Like, it, it would have been laughable uh, in the two previous seasons. Um, 
when a lot of people wanted Poku on the floor to see him play, yes, but also improve the Thunder's lottery odds. And now we're talking about improving the actual team when he's out there. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, he's been really good defensively. Look at that Memphis game before he got hurt. He had like three blocks in 14 minutes, I think, before he sprained his ankle. Um, had that wonderful, it was like the opposite of a chase down block on John Morant. John Morant is basically chasing Poku down, and Poku's just really patient um, and gets the block at the rim. So, and he has shot it better from three. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely missing him. He's been one of their key contributors this year. Yeah, I mean, he was the second best player on the team for that night in Boston, too, before he got hurt. He's been playing some really good basketball, and I don't blame you for laughing because it's been a big change of events for Poku. Where, I mean, it is. it does sound weird. I was on Twitter saying, I was like, they're really missing Poku, which is a crazy thing to say for this team that you go, you know who they're really missing right now is a guy who's on Shaq and a fool all the time, but he's really improved yeah. his play and been like a very valuable piece to this team on both ends. Well, you mentioned the Poku note. I'll mention the Aaron Wiggins note. The the Thunder is 2-10 and ten when Aaron Wiggins is not the starting lineup. <laughs> so we'll tell Mark, you need to play Poku every game and start Aaron Wiggins. Instant success. It's a dereliction of duty, Mark. Yeah. I mean, uh, Wiggins... They're they're on a they're on an eighty two win pace when Aaron Wiggins is in the starting lineup. The true tank is just not starting Aaron Wiggins. That's all it is. <laughs> That's crazy. But um, you know, Aaron Wiggins in the second year, we're gonna transition to another second year guy in Josh Giddy. Um, and last night Andrew Schlecht asked him about about guys adjusting to his game and kind of the scout being out on him, and he admitted he's like, Yeah, I think guys have adjusted to my game. Uh Different teams have scouted out our inbounds plays, which he's still got an inbounds assist last night, but they are jumping on that. So I don't know. What what do you think he can add or do differently to counter some of those adjustments teams are making towards him? Well, I, I think the scouting is a huge part of it. And, you know, he clearly caught some teams off guard last year just with his feel. And that's, you know, one of the, you know that's that's one of the penalties for being a good player. You start to get scouted more, and they're gonna they're gonna know your tendencies a little bit more. And looking at the numbers last year, he averages six point four assists and three point two turnovers per game. Um, very good for a rookie this year. Almost playing the same amount of minutes. He's down to five point eight assists, but his turnover turnovers are up to three point four per game. And besides. Besides teams playing him differently or like we talked about the, you know, it's just going to take some time for him to learn how to play next to this version of Shea. I just think he's been generally careless with the ball at at times and and just making kind of forcing the issue with some of his passes or, um, you know, being being 6'8", like some guards uh, try to pick on him a, a little bit and can poke the ball away when he's a little loose with it. I think it's more of just like that stuff that that bothers me more than, you know, him fighting through some of these um, struggles with defensive looks. Obviously, the shooting's been the big issue that people want to talk about, but I think an underlying thing that's really caused problems that you mentioned is he's just kind of loose handling the ball, just dribbling, and I'd like to see him get his handle a little bit tighter. And you mentioned smaller guards getting into him, and he just kind of, he plays sort of straight up if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like he's very up and down. And, but when you see not everybody Shea, but you see him kind of getting horizontal to the floor, bending and doing different things. And it makes it harder to guard. But when you're straight up and down, it's a little bit easier to kind of mirror a guy defensively. Yeah. And when like a, a undersized guard is like, you know, crouching in a defensive stance, he's like at eye level with the basketball, basically. I mean, and when he is playing upright like that, I think it is, you know, it's, it's a little hard for him. And, Again, I mean, this guy is, uh, he's 20 years old. He turned 20 43 days ago, which is uh, insane. So I give it time. I, I mean, he, he's not been great this year, not even been good this year, been a little worse than last year. Um, but I, I mean, what, what do the Thunder say? Development is not linear. I think Development is not linear. Term. Yeah. Trademark. Yeah. Before. Trademark quote right there. They're going to put that on a t-shirt. I'll wear that show mark next time. But you mentioned him getting guarded by smaller guys. And one of the adjustments I'd like to see him have is um, 
with the double overtime game against the Bucks, you saw him post up Javon Carter and Grayson Allen, some different things like that. And I don't want to sound like an old head, but I'd like to see some more of that. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but if he could be some of that discount Jokic role of playing at the elbow and the block and kind of having the offense kind of rotate around him, I think that would be nice. Just having him use his size more if they're going to put smaller guards on him or just guys who aren't as strong. And if they're going to put bigger guys on him, then I think you take him out to the perimeter a little bit and let him try to blow by guys. But just playing to different strengths of his instead of just high pick and roll, just kind of playing guys straight up over and over because we're seeing it's not necessarily working out this year as well as it was last year, especially with those smaller guards on him. I think that's a good point. I think he can use his size more inside um, and picking on some of those smaller guards. And to that point, last year he only attempts one and a half free throws per game. This year that's down to 1.3. If he starts doing that thing, those things, maybe his free throw rate goes up a little bit now he's not a great free throw shooter career 71 percent but um certainly you would like to see that go up a little bit his two-point percentage is up from last year from 49 percent to 53 percent so i think that reflects a little more of how he's been able to to finish and certainly that floater um because those are those are pretty much i mean he's at the rim or you know in the paint hitting that floater and that that's that's like the extent of his two-point attempt so at least that's a good sign yeah just varying up his offense you mentioned it. it's a floater it's a layup or it's a spot up three for 90 percent of the time for his shots offensively and you mentioned the free throws that's another thing i was going to get to just using his frame i'd like to see him more aggressive going into the lane and taking contact because he's a big guy i mean that's one of my biggest takeaways seeing him in person last year is just he's massive for a guard and just a player overall especially at that age and I just like to see him use his body more and get to some of those fouls and even at 70% shooting that's not so bad where we're going to go hack a giddy and it's embarrassing to have him at the line and just the law of averages and just quantity over quality I'd like to see him get to the free throw line more and we keep mentioning Shea but that's what how he took this big leap uh, over the last couple of years is really, really getting to the line and getting downhill and getting those easier points. I mean, these superstars in the league, they're not scoring 90% of their points in the half court or the full court. They're getting a lot of points at the line. Yeah, for sure. One random note on Getty. He, uh, sometimes I think he, his shot attempts at the rim are sometimes harder than they should be, or at least they look like they should be, especially given his size at six, eight, like, He's really falling in love. It's like a driving hook shot layup, like off the glass. And it seems like a really tough shot. And when it goes in, it's like, wow, what a move. Um, but when it doesn't, you're like, clearly there's got to be a, a better better finish than you know trying that. That's just like one minor thing that stood out to me. I mean, I think that's something that to me is an example of just kind of avoiding contact where you're mm-hmm. going up and doing this hook where maybe if you take one more dribble and use your body and get into the contact, you can get closer and maybe get fouled. But to talk about his shot, progress is not linear, like we mentioned. That's the slogan for this show. But uh, changing your shot is incredibly hard as somebody who's tried to change their shot and been around guys like that. It's like going from holding a pencil or a fork one way your entire life and then having to remember every single time to do it. And it's just so hard because I'm sure Josh has been shooting this way since he was like eight years old and made little adjustments here and there. But working with Chip, he's made had to change some bigger things. And, you know, adjusting a shot, because I've seen some people on Twitter, it's like, well, we're paying Chip England all this money and this guy can't shoot, this guy can't shoot. With a shooting coach, it's not overnight. It's like weightlifting. You don't just go from like, I think I'd like to lift weights to now you're bench pressing 300 pounds. Like, it's... You got to work your way up. There's going to be ups and downs, but it's not going to be something that's overnight. Also, this is this is not all on on Chip England. I mean, if if Chip England could, you know, instantly make Josh Giddy a 35% three-point shooter, I think Barry's made this joke, but the man should make like 20 million a year because like I mean, it, it just isn't going to happen. And an interesting thing to point out, and I know this is a little in the weeds, but Josh Giddy's dad played with Andrew Gaze in the NBL. Andrew Gaze is an Australian legend, um, briefly played in the NBA, but he was known more than anything as this just sniper uh, three-point shooter. 
Andrew Gay is, is still really, really close with Josh Giddy. He coached Josh Giddy um, coming up, you know, through through youth basketball and everything. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying this because, like, Josh has been around a guy that has helped him with his shot who was, like, a premier shooter, and it clearly, like, hasn't hasn't worked. But that that is just to, just to show you that, like, it's not just, like, the, the teaching. It's, like, breaking habits. It's confidence it's, it's more than um a lot of those things and i don't know if it's ever going to get turned around um hopefully it's better than 27 percent, which is actually um, above from 26 percent last year but yeah I, I i think we're putting a little chip england is obviously a great shooting coach um but it's it's not this thing where like everyone's percentages are going to take a five percent bump because he'd, he'd be he'd be worth 500 million dollars if that was the case yeah, there's no guarantee. Different guys will go up, different guys will go down. I think you've seen some improvements for guys, but if he can just turn everybody into a 40% three-point shooter, he should be working for NASA, or I don't even know. He should be doing something bigger than basketball if he can flip things around like that. But we'll see with Josh. I'm still confident in his ability to develop. And more than anything, as you're changing your shot, it's less about just looking at the makes and more just looking at the consistent form. Because as long as you're consistent, it's going to end up going in uh, eventually but if you're in your own head like Shaq was famous for this where he changes free throw routine every single time at the line it just doesn't work that way if you're doing something different every time but if you're Josh and you're taking these shots just being consistent in the work and having the same routine the same form that's been improving I think you're going to see some results it might not be the results as well as people want to see but I think it's going to improve I uh I will fully admit my eye is not trained well in this area but everyone when, when every time someone talks about oh this guy's shot looks different or um just oh, like like aaron wiggins was a good example that one was a little um more clear to see getting more arc on his shot but with giddy when people were talking about his shot looks different i never saw it and i'm not saying that people who did see a change weren't seeing it i just like wouldn't have noticed that like are you have you seen his shot? I know we'd have to get like a side-by-side -side comparison, but like, are you seeing any differences in his release or setup or follow through or anything like that? I think, I think his release looks quicker. And then he's talked about it. Cause I, I shoot like this too, is the thumb flick, which is when you shoot with your right hand and your left thumb on your left hand hits the ball and gives it a little bit more velocity, but it also can make it more inconsistent. So you can shoot it from a little bit further and get a little bit more power and maybe get it off quicker. But having the variance of, obviously, if your thumb hits the ball, it can turn and rotate in different ways. But I think his his setup is better. I think that he's um, using his legs more because last year it was just almost a set shot. But yeah. I think he looks a, little bit, a lot more fluid in it. So it's a lot of little things. This is why we brought you in, Michael. We, we've never had a, we've never mentioned a thumb, what'd you say, thumb click? Flick. Flick. We've never mentioned a thumb flick on the Thunder Buddies pod before. I, I wouldn't mention it unless I wasn't maligned by a coach <laughs> for having it, but here we are. But uh, the law of averages, I wanted to talk about it. You mentioned it, that the team was, I think, 16th in offense, 20th in defense after last night. And, you know, they started strong with the sixth best defense in the league, and then they had one of the worst offenses in the league, and then it kind of flipped for a little bit over that road stretch. But are we kind of coming to terms in this point in the season where it's like this team is kind of showing who they are as, you know, kind of average on both ends? Yes and no. So they're 16th in offense, 21st in defense. Like I said, I would expect, if anything, that, that to flip. Um, 16th in defense, 21st in offense. I'm not saying I think that'll be the case. Um, you said average, and I know, you know, potato, potato, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, 15th in that rating by the end of the year. I think they're going to look something like 18th in defense, 20 or 20th in offense, something, something like that. Um, I don't think there's going to be this wide variance between it, but I think the defense is, I think they'll finish with a better defensive rating than offensive rating, um, which would certainly have to flip last five games. This is, this is not very thundery. The Thunder is fourth in, def in, in offense, fourth in offense in the last five games, 29th in defense. Those are numbers that we've seen just be just the opposite. And 
it's kind of nice to know that the offense can be this good. Um, but meanwhile, the defense has been atrocious. And, and I think this is a team that prioritizes defense more than anything. I think it's a coach that prioritizes defense more than anything. You don't see uh, Mark being all um, chipper at the offensive success. You see him more frustrated with the, the defensive issues. Well, and you could see that frustration last night in the press conference when I think it was you or Schleich who mentioned the last run of points of how many they've given up, and he added on other games that you didn't mention like he was ready to talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, it was like it was like there was a sticky note on the microphone with all of the point totals they've given up, and he was just like reading them off, but there was nothing in front of him. He just had these, it's like these numbers have been haunting him before he goes to sleep or something, so... Yeah, it's it's clearly bothering him, and he made the point that it's all correctable stuff because it's stuff that they were doing at the beginning of the year. Um, so obviously, there there's just been some sort of let up, either effort wise, being locked in mentally, focused, stuff like that. I don't really know what it is, but it but it certainly has slipped. Well, and that's why I said the law of averages is because. The truth is they are not the sixth best defense in the NBA like they were early in the season, and they're not a bottom five defense like they have been over this last stretch. They're not a top four offense like they were in this last stretch, and they're not a bottom five offense like they were to begin the season. The truth is somewhere in the middle, and I think we're going to figure that out, but just by the nature of this roster and being a young team, it's going to be inconsistent. It's going to be up and down. What would you, so I said like, I think I said 18th in defense, 20th in offense. I'd be generous. Um, but what, what would, how do you think they're going to finish in the NBA, offensive-wise and defensive-wise, into the year? I think the defense will be a little bit better um, than that, maybe towards average 15, 16, 14 range. But I think you're right around uh, the mark on the offense. I think that it's just still going to be clunky, especially with the lack of shooting. But defense a lot of it is just effort and coaching and mark has shown in the past two years that that is something he can bring out of just about anybody to have a productive defense other than you know the stretch we're currently going through yeah and i think that's i mean when we say 20th that's like a huge improvement offensively i mean this team was 29th 30th 30th the last few years so to jump 10 spots um is remarkable um so who knows where they're going to finish up, but like they're clearly improved on that at the floor. And, and I think, you know, overall, maybe a little smoke and mirrors at, at the beginning of last season and this season, as far as what they are defensively. But I still think they're, you know, at worst an average team defensively. Well, and just the ups and downs. I mean, there was a time where people, when Shea had that great streak, it's like, oh, the Thunder are going to make the playoffs or they're going to make the plan, and then they lose three straight, and it's like, oh, well, they're going to be bottom three team. I don't think either of those is probably going to happen. I think they're going to be in the 8 to 10 pick range around there, which is fine, as we've talked about before. Chet is really your first-round pick for this year, and just whatever else you get is gravy beyond that. But I wouldn't be too worried about it. If I was you know, a Thunder fan watching this team... I think you got to evaluate it less on wins and losses and more on just, you know, seeing what the team has in these guys on the roster, how they play together, how they can develop, and just watching them build good habits. So on tankathon.com, a, a very nice website that came in, uh, that's come in handy over the last couple of seasons, the Thunder is eighth in the reverse standings. So right in that range you just talked about. Um, if they finish eighth in the reverse standings, you're feeling okay because, like you said, you still have Chet. You still, you've a star has emerged, a superstar has emerged in SGA. But then you look at the odds and you're saying, okay, you've got a 23.5% chance to land a top four pick. Don't take that 23.5%. That could, that that could certainly happen. Now to get the number one pick, it's like 4%. You're not putting, or no, it's 5.3%. So not impossible, but you're not putting too much weight on that. It's it's gravy. I mean, it's they're they're in a good shape either way. If they continue to improve, it's like okay, they're they're ahead. If they start to lose some more of these games, like at home against the Knicks, a, a game they probably shouldn't lose, it's good for the lottery standings. And if you're in that sort of eight to ten range, if you stick there, you trust the scouting and Sam Presti in the front office for 
for uh, picking the right guy at that spot and you bake in the, you know, quarter chance that you you move up in the draft into the top four of what's a very good draft. And crazier things have happened, like teams jumping up. I think since the new lottery odds have changed, they flattened out the odds. The team with the number seven odds has jumped every single year. So you never know. And I, I think the first and second pick are kind of set in stone with Scoot Henderson, Victor Wembanyama, those two guys. But beyond that, the Thunder have all these draft picks, accumulated young talent. There's still a very good chance they could just trade up into the top three or four. So I just wouldn't, I think that should be on the back burner, like you said, and just the season's all gravy. Yeah, trading up is super difficult. I, I, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think they'll probably use their picks more in. Uh, I mean, this would be a, a leap, but like a Donovan Mitchell esque fashion, where like the team is there, and now you're bringing in another piece, bundling together a lot of picks. But I mean, your your point is valid. Like it, it just gives you flexibility where you're not just like married to that one spot. Like you can, you can do a lot of different things. Yeah. I was just more talking the fact of even if you're at eight, you're not stuck. Like there is still a chance you can do other things. Even if you come out of the draft with the eighth pick and by all accounts, this looks like another great draft coming in here. We'll get into it later in the season, talking about some of the draft prospects outside of Scoot and Victor, but a lot of great young talent coming in the league. I mentioned gravy. Let's get into our last segment here. Joe, there's going to be a lot of fun. Everyone knows the start bench cut game. If I give you three players, you'd say, I want to start this guy, bench this guy, and then cut the last guy out of the three options. But Joe, we're doing it with Thanksgiving foods here. So I want to get your takes on these Thanksgiving foods. Which ones are you starting, benching, and cutting? I have some different categories. Are you ready? I'm I'm extremely fired up. I mean, we, we've just wasted time talking about basketball. Let's get to the real game. Yeah, this will be the – we'll clip this and put it right at the front. This is what people want to hear. We'll start with dessert, which usually comes last, but I had this first up. Start, bench, and cut pumpkin pie, apple pie, pecan pie. Okay. See, this is interesting because – I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna put too much analysis into this. I'm gonna start pecan pie. I was I was a late arrival to pecan pie. Probably didn't have it until I was dare I say sixteen, seventeen. Like as a kid, wasn't a huge fan of nuts. Kind of looked gross. Didn't look like a, a dessert. But now I've really come to enjoy it. So I'm gonna start pecan pie. I'm gonna bench pumpkin pie just because it's a uh, this is where it gets tricky. It's more of a Thanksgiving staple in my head, even though I don't really go for it. But it's like an honorary, like, good locker room guy to have on the bench. I'm going to cut apple pie, and I love apple pie. I just associate it more with, like, summertime than I do Thanksgiving time. Like a 4th of July type of thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Uh, pecan pie is, it's not bad like candy corn, but it's like the staple of, you just kind of have to have it around. It's just a given here. But yeah. I'll I'll start pecan, I'll bench apple, and cut pumpkin only because I just don't like the taste of pumpkin. That's just me. Well, that's a that's a pretty good reason to cut pumpkin. Um, sort of a weird thing, right? It's just like mm-hmm. we, we buy like a can of pumpkin, put it in a uh, pie crust, and put it in the oven, and there it is. It's it's kind of an odd odd thing, but you know I'll I'll have like an honorary bite. Maybe put some whipped cream on there. Spice it up a little bit. I could go for it. The fruitcake of Thanksgiving, that's for sure. But that's a topic for another time, yeah. Uh, Next, we'll get into the potato section of it. Mashed potatoes, scalloped, and roasted. Start bench cut. (laughs) Okay, this one's easy. I am starting mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Just compliments the whole meal. I will bench... Scalloped potatoes. I like scalloped potatoes. Kind of slept on uncutting roasted potatoes. You can have those anytime. Just, you know, minimal effort involved. See you later, roasted potatoes. I got the same rankings. Uh, We'll move on to the meats here. We've got roasted turkey, fried turkey, and ham. Okay. Well... I could I could cut everything except the the, the roasted turkey. I mean, um, hey, fun fact: I'm actually going to be in charge of 
our Thanksgiving turkey, you know, family turkey this Thanksgiving for the first time. So the pressure is on, but I will be sticking that bird in, in the roasting pan in the oven. So that is, that's the starting point. Confession, I have never had fried turkey, I don't think, in any context. I, I do like the idea of it. So I'm going to bench that and I'll, I'll, I'll cut the ham and save it for Christmas maybe. I'll do the same. I haven't had fried turkey either. I've heard nice things, but we'll, we'll get an update on Friday about how your uh, turkey ag- adventures went. Have you ever made a tur- have, you, have you ever been in charge of the, the Martin family turkey? Uh, no, they'd rather get pizza or something like that than let me do that. <laughs> and I don't blame them. There's there okay. nothing good could happen if they said like, hey, Michael, go to Billy Sims and pick up some turkey. I think it would end really well. But if they're like, here's a raw turkey, we want you to like make this into something. I think all of us would be in the hospital by the end of the night. I've I've done my research. Um, I've I've tried to improve my cooking skills over the last couple of years, and I think I'm ready for this moment. All right, we'll go into the gravies category. We've got brown gravy, giblet gravy. And white gravy. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start white gravy. I'm gonna bench brown gravy, and I am going to cut giblet gravy. My the one request from my family is to not make the giblet gravy. Um, basically, from what I understand, uh, chopping up all of the innards of the turkey into a gravy. It, I mean, if you like it, that's that's awesome. I know it's a staple, but just. Uh, doesn't sound all that appetizing. I try not to ask questions. <laughs> I'll go with so, giblet. So you like the you like the giblet gravy? From what I've so from what my family has made, it's been good. But yeah, I I don't want to know what's inside. It's like hot dogs. Just you know, if I can have it, that's, that's great. Good, that's but just don't tell me. But I'll go giblet brown and then uh, cut white gravy. Onto the breads. We've only got three more here: rolls, cornbread, or croissants. Start bench cut. Well, here's my deal on the breads. I really love rolls, so I'm going to start those. But I'm not going to eat those. Because I put a lot of thought into how I eat my Thanksgiving meals. And I just don't want to waste any space on the bread. It's going to like expand in your stomach, make you more full. I'll save the bread for other days, and I love bread, so I, I'm going to start. I'll start the rolls, but set them aside and give them to others. Um, I'm going to bench cornbread. I love cornbread. Um, croissants never really been a part of my uh, family Thanksgiving, but I, I do love croissants, just not in this context. I'll be honest; they were a throw-in. There weren't a ton of other bread options for Thanksgiving that I could really find. Yeah, I, I don't know what else, unless you do like you know, like stuffing or dressing is like a bread. It's composed of bread primarily. Do you say dressing or stuffing? Uh, Dressing. Interesting. It doesn't really. I feel feel like we're in the minority there. It's only just because it came from grandparents saying, this is what this is. And I just didn't question it. It tastes good. So that's what I say. No issues. my, My grandparents said dressing and I always say dressing, but I think most commonly it's called stuffing. So I'm, I'm, that's a that's a big uh, that's a big step in our in our partnership here, knowing that we both call it dressing. That's where we really aligned here. <laughs> but I'll I'll go with the same breads. I like your take. Yeah, breads too filling. Got to save that for other days. Uh, and then we get to our last two categories. We'll do a side dish: start bench cut, cream corn, mac and cheese, and green bean casserole. I'm going to start green bean casserole because if I didn't, my mom would be very upset. I am going to bench mac and cheese and I will cut cream corn. But I, so, so we're going to have a, we're going to have a corn casserole thing that has like cream corn in it. And I really enjoy the the corn casserole, but just like by itself, um, I'll say see you later to the cream corn. I'll go opposite a little bit. I'll go mac and cheese start, bench cream corn. I apologize to your mom. I'm just not a big oh, no. green bean casserole. I'm sure hers is fantastic. I just <laughs> haven't had the chance. 
Maybe you can give me a they're to all, go. They're all the same. Every green bean casserole I've ever had tastes the same. Yeah, you can bring me like a one of those styrofoam plates with a tin foil to the game on Friday. We'll we'll do a live reaction on Twitter. That'd be great. And then the final one, these are the real Thanksgiving staples. We've got dressing, cranberry sauce, and deviled eggs were the were the three that my friends came up with. Start bench those cut are, those. Those are great. Uh, those are great. And I, I actually thought we were finishing up a couple of questions ago. So you hadn't included stuffing and or dressing, dressing and or stuffing. So I'm really sorry for uh, you know all good uh, playing spoiler on that. But um, okay, I like this one. I'm going to start dressing as we've talked about i'm going to bench cranberry sauce i love cranberry sauce i love straight from the can cranberry sauce you get those little ridges on it i like homemade cranberry sauce um you know actually cooking the cranberries however that happens um deviled eggs just i don't think i've ever had one they've always been available i feel like they're still available by the end of the day when everyone's done eating and and uh yeah that that tells you all you need to know no there was no spoilers i mean it would be like if we talked about christmas and didn't mention and we were doing decorations didn't mention the tree until the end it had to be mentioned just (laughs) thought i'd i'd save it but i'm gonna cheat here just give me three uh helpings of dressing that's all i want i don't want the other one just keep them out of the way if i could just eat 90 percent of dressing on thanksgiving i'd feel terrible afterwards but it tastes great so you're you're starting a, a three-man dressing lineup and th- they've got a pretty good on off i think they could win it all if we had that <laughs> i think that's like the right. 73 and 9 warriors of thanksgiving meals right there i i would like um the listeners to hit us up let us know uh how we did and also give us give us your rankings because this is a super fun cater- uh, super fun game to play for sure we're gonna try to keep it light keep it fun but uh joe before we get out of here are, do you have anything in the pipeline going forward any new stories people can look forward well, to well everyone is writing and, and talking about shea gilgis alexander i'm hoping to to add a, a story that a lot of people probably don't know and and ask shea about that um but yeah busy busy game week games on wednesday and friday and saturday so a lot of game coverage but yeah just just follow along at oklahoman.com for sure we are brought to you by the oklahoman as joe said uh thank you so much for listening enjoy your holidays enjoy thanksgiving we will be back on friday with a turkey update from joe thanks for listening make sure to subscribe follow us on apple and spotify rate us five stars and we will see you on friday